0: Thank you very much, Laura, for ministering the music. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the written word, Scripture. We thank you, too, for the living word, Christ, in whom we have life. We thank you for your Spirit, who is at work in us as a body, in us as believers. As we consider a portion of your word this morning, we want to be attentive hearers, applying your word in our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. A few thought questions. I've heard over the years that experience is the best teacher, and I pose that as a question, is experience the best teacher? Is evaluated experience a better teacher? So we go through experiences and we evaluate them. Is evaluated experience a better teacher? Is learning from the experiences of others a superior teacher? History is very valuable. The Lord expects his people to live, to respond in light of history in Nehemiah's day, those who returned from Babylonian captivity were desecrating the Sabbath day. He rebuked the nobles, saying, what is this wicked thing you're doing, desecrating the Sabbath? Didn't your forefathers do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and upon the city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Nehemiah is appealing to history. In the same time period, the Jewish men in Judah had married women from Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab. And part of what Nehemiah says is, was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel. But even even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing this terrible wickedness and being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? Again, Nehemiah appealing to history, the history of Solomon. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we find that Paul as he writes to the believers in Corinth, is appealing to history. And we want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and get up to indulge in pagan reverie. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did. And were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happen to them as examples, and were written down for warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. As Paul writes to the believers in Corinth, the text makes it clear that he expected them to learn from history. And I think we could say he expects us to learn from history. Notice in verse 1, For I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to lack understanding. And what does he appeal to? That is, ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and so on. In verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples. What things? What happened to Israel that he mentioned In verses 1 through 5. And then if you look at verse 11. These things happen to them as examples. And were written down as warnings for us. On whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Don't want you to be ignorant. He mentions example two times in verse 14. Therefore, in light of what I have just shared. My dear friends flee from idolatry. And then look at verse 18. Consider the people of Israel. Again, he's appealing to history. He's holding up Israel as an example. And the word example in scripture means to leave a mark. So I'm going to illustrate example. Here I have a piece of wood that is fairly hard. Barely had a mark. Here's a piece of pine. That left a little bit bigger mark. And here I have a brownie. I barely hit it, and that left a pretty great indent. By the way, this is safe to eat. Not now. But Paul is saying, Example. What is an example? It's to leave a mark. And depends on how hard a person is as to what kind of mark it leaves. He's appealing to history. And as we seek to understand the context, understand that he is appealing to history in the nation of Israel. And Israel was a redeemed people. Verses 1-4 through makes that very clear. Israel was a redeemed people. They had been delivered from Egypt. Israel was in a relationship with the Lord. We think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We also notice that the Lord is responding to redeemed people. And it's not necessarily pretty in this context because we see people died. Thousands upon thousands died. But it's interesting also that 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing a local church. He's not writing to individuals. He's writing to the church in Corinth and appealing to them to learn from the example of Israel. Learn from their example. Writing again as a body. Obviously applicable to individuals. So, as we think about the structure of the passage, in verses 24 through 27 of chapter 9, he talks about running a race, run to get the crown. And at the end of verse 27, a, he says, I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. For the prize. And his exhortation is to run to get the prize. And then he gives examples of how not to run in verses 10 1 through 10. Again, he is writing to redeem people, Israel being redeemed, but also the Corinthians being a redeemed people. There was a relationship with God. Israel refused to obey. So he talks about their refusal to obey in verse 5 and the fact that their bodies were sk- scattered over the desert. He reminds them in verse 6 of the reason why he is writing, I'm giving these examples of Israel. Why? To keep you from setting your hearts on evil things. In verses 7 through 10, he gives some examples of disqualification. Again, from the nation of Israel. (coughs) Idolatry, (coughs) sexual immorality. They tested the Lord. They grumbled. In verse 11, he again reminds them of his reason for writing. These things happen as examples. In verse 12, he gives a warning. So if you think you're standing, be careful that you don't fall. Israel thought they were standing, but they ended up falling. And then in verse 13, 13, he gives a word of encouragement. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Now understand verse 13 comes in the context of the examples that came from Israel. Israel had the resources in each temptation to obey and to respond correctly. They chose not to. So the examples are those of people that did not respond, but God had given them the resources and the promises to respond. So he gives the encouragement again. There's no temptation taking you. Others have been through it. God is faithful. He won't give you more than you can bear. And when you're tempted, he'll make a way for you to stand up under. So to emphasize the context, I call it a sandwich. Verses 24 through 27 of chapter 9, run to get the prize. In 10, 1 through 13, consider his historical examples of those who didn't get the prize. And then in chapter 10, 14 through 17, here's how to get the prize. Flee from idolatry. Run to get the prize. Some examples of those who didn't get the prize. How to get the prize. Flee from idolatry. We'll go back to verse 1. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers. He's writing to believers in Corinth that our forefathers were all under the cloud. It's vital to understand that he calls Israel their forefathers. The church, we say, began on the day of Pentecost. But long before the day of Pentecost, God was at work in people. He called Israel to himself. And he says to the church in Corinth, I don't want you to be ignorant of our forefathers. Our forefathers were a redeemed people that were in a covenant relationship with God. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 2 for just a few moments. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. We know that Joseph had gone to Egypt. Jacob and his family followed. They spent some 400 years in slavery. In verse 23 of Exodus 2, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help and cry for help because of their slavery went up to the God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. In chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, just reading verse 7 of Exodus, The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he is writing about... Israel, Israel was in a covenant relationship with God. And that covenant relationship began with Abraham, followed by Isaac, followed by Jacob. There was a covenant relationship. Paul goes on in Exodus then, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. We're not going to look at all the references that I'll mention, but in Exodus 13, notice what the writer of Scripture says. Again, Paul is appealing to history. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 20. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Edis on the edge of the desert. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And in Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23, we won't read that passage. You'll find that Moses repeatedly says, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of cloud. The pillar of cloud moved and the people moved. The pillar of cloud stood still and the people stayed still. Paul appeals to that and says, under the cloud. He also mentions in 1 Corinthians 10, that Israel passed through the sea in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 22. The waters were divided and Israel went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Skipping down to verse 29, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of our forefathers. They were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. And then he says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. Now, remember the word baptized means to be placed into. So this brownie, if you please, don't take us too far, was baptized. It was placed into the bag. And whatever happens to the bag happens to the brownie. So if I stick it in my pocket, what happens to the bag happens to the brownie. So he's saying that Israel was baptized into Moses. Who went through the Red Sea? Who led them? Moses. The cloud. Moses was instrumental with the cloud because he was leading. So Paul says Israel was baptized into the cloud and into the sea. He mentions also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the forefathers, Israel, they all ate the same spiritual food. The spiritual food that is being referred to in Exodus chapter 16 is manna. All Israel ate manna for some 40 years he says they drank the same spiritual drink in exodus chapter 17 1 through 17 we find that they drank water from the rock and paul says in 1st corinthians they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was christ he's appealing to israel the fact that Israel was a redeemed people, the fact that God worked in this redeemed people. And then he says in verse 5, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. A covenant relationship does not mean overlooking sin and rebellion. In fact, it demands a response from the Lord. And Paul says their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now let's go back to Numbers 13 and 14 for just a few moments. The event referring to in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Referring to the fact that Israel was to enter the promised land but they chose not to enter the Promised Land. And in Numbers 13, we find that they're ready to go into the Promised Land. The spies are being sent out, and 12 spies are sent, one from each tribe. The 12 spies are gone and they return. And in Numbers 13 and verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Haran. There they reported to them and the whole community and showed them the fruit of the land. It gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. If they had stopped there, they would have been doing pretty good. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it, or certainly can do it, yeah. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot attack. Those people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seem like grasshoppers in, a, in our eyes as we looked the same to them. Twelve men... Go up to spy out the land. Ten return and spread a bad report. Two, Caleb and Joshua say, we can take it. Notice in verse 14, or chapter 14 and verse 1. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Paul is giving Israel as an example Israel had been promised the land. God had already given the promises. He had told them that they could take the land. He would defeat the enemy. He would drive the people out. They're choosing not to respond. They're choosing to focus on their circumstance. The people are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. They believed a bad report. What was the result? They failed to focus on the Lord, who promised them the victory, the land. The outcome was that they grumbled against Moses. They grumbled against Aaron. And what does their humble leader do? We won't read him, but in verses 5 through 9, he exhorts them. In verses 13 through 19, He prays for them. I'm in the conviction, it's only my conviction, that Moses was one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. He dealt with a nation of grumbling people. But when they failed to obey and respond, he prayed. The Lord said, He was a humble man. What was the consequences of Israel choosing not to go into the promised land? In verses 20 through 35, we find that those 20 years older, or those 20 years old and above, died. I figured it out one time. I don't remember my figure. How many funerals would have been taking place every day for over 40 years if the same number of Israelites died you know, each day, in thousands, they died. Why? They rejected God's promise. In verses 36 through 38, the 10 spies who gave the bad report were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. And then in 39 through 43 of chapter 14, Israel says, well, let's go up and take the land and The Lord said, I'm not going to be with you. Now, in way of an application, just to stop and think, are we as a church looking at our circumstances or at the Lord? Do we look at the media? Do we look at the law enforcement? Do we look at accusers? Do we look at the slowness of what we seem to think is slowness of action? Or do we look to the Lord? As you think about circumstances that you have been through, do you look at the circumstance? Or do you look at the God of the circumstance? Israel wanted at a certain outcome it didn't happen because they chose not to obey. Back in First Corinthians, Paul says, I've given these accounts of Israel, of their going through the sea, being involved with the cloud, the same spiritual food, the manna, the spiritual drink, the water, Christ accompanying them, and the example of those in Israel who died because they went into the promised land, it says, "I give them as examples to keep us from setting our hearts." on evil things. I've given them, if you please, to make an indentation in the wood. I've given them, and I trust you have a sensitive heart, Paul is saying to them, that you would be like a brownie and let the indentation, indentation, the example of Israel, hit you pretty deeply and impact your life. He goes on and gives some other examples which, Lord willing, we'll pick up on next week. But I want you to notice, again, in verse 11, where Paul says, these things happen to them as examples. And were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Learn from Israel. Learn from what they went through. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Ah, I'm doing fine. Israel apparently thought we're doing fine. We have a relationship with the Lord. We don't want to go into the promised land. That's okay. God says, no, it's not okay. Learn from their example. How many times do we think we're doing well in the midst of a temptation? Paul's warning is, you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And then that great encouragement, a verse that we use many times, no temptation has seized you except what is coming to man. What the Corinthians were facing in the context of offering food to idols. And there was a temptation there. Paul says, others have been through it. Look at Israel. We may go through a temptation as a church. You as a family, you as an individual may go through temptation. Others have been there and been through it. He says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Israel was tempted to not go into the promised land. They're tempted with idols. They're tempted with complaining about their leaders. They're tempted with sexual immorality. God didn't let them be tempted beyond what they were able. They they chose not to respond. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So whatever temptation we face, Paul says, God will make a way out for you to stand up through it so that you can look back and say, I came through the temptation intact. Standing at the end, not yielding. But that comes from examples in Israel's history. Is experience the best teacher I'm inclined to think it's a good teacher, but I don't think the best. I think evaluating experience is better than experience, but learning from the experiences of others is a much, much better teacher. My older brother, Orville, got in some trouble at school. And one day my dad got a call from the principal and stating that you have to come and get your son. And the reason you have to come and get Orville is that uh, he wasn't in some classes and he and his friends, or he and a friend of his, went downtown, skipping class. I learned from my older brother's Experience. I never skipped class to go downtown because I didn't want to deal with the principal, nor did I want to deal with dad. Learning from experience. I learned from experience when I was in Chattanooga. I took a paper route, I delivered newspapers in the morning. And I learned from the experience of others that the manager was not always real nice when he had to call someone out of bed to come and you know, deliver their papers. So I learned to get up on time and be there on time, learn from their experience. So apply that to our life today. We as a church are going through a trial. Israel went through trials. We should learn from Israel. The believers in Corinth went through trials. We should learn from them. To be sensitive and responsive to God. To yield to him. You as an individual, you as a family, have been through some trials. Are we willing to look at history and learn from history? That in trials, you rejoice rather than become bitter so that God can build perseverance and character into our lives. Because when we become bitter, we influence a multitude of people, as Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 talk about. Experience is a good teacher. Evaluated experience is probably a better teacher, but learning from the experiences of others, I think, is a superior teacher. Paul says Corinthians. Learn. Let a mark be made in your life from their example for God's glory. Let's pray together. Father, As we have discussed 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Paul appeals to Israel's history holding them up as an example should learn from their example. We want to be a people that is learning from the example of Israel the example of the Corinthian church from the example of others who have live before us, maybe in the distant past, maybe more recent. May we be sensitive, Father, to responding to your word, example of others. May be a good example, may not be a good example, but either way, Letting their mark impact how we live and we respond. We love you. We want to be sensitive to you, Father. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.